Our Father, we are often reminded, of course, by you, by the Holy Spirit, reminded as to how we should pray. And uh, we're also taught regarding prayer and what that involves and its uh, value, which is so great. Father, I just pray that you would uh, continue to do that, that we might not be caught up in the affairs of this world and overwhelmed by them, because truly we do live in dark times and times of great trial uh, are upon us. But such has always been so for your people. We know that from your word, Father, and thanks for that word that's a constant uh, guide uh, instructs us in uh, truth that's enduring and uh, encourages us day by day and hour by hour father i uh, on this uh, memorial day weekend i i'm reminded also of all those that have gone before and uh, many were lost in battle or in circumstances that overcame them others were delivered and yet there are scars that are enduring many of those have already been drawn to you father in saving grace and have enjoyed your grace and its abundance and others have not so uh, for those in blindness father uh, we do pray that the blindness would be lifted the days are dark but your light is bright and it it shines and will never be extinguished. So, Father, I, I pray that uh, they would be still drawn to you in these uh, last hours and dark days. We do sense that our Lord Jesus may call us home soon. Uh, that sense is uh, perhaps just our great desire that uh, we would soon be meeting him in the air and all those that have gone before for that great, great, great regathering. What a rejoicing that will be. But Father, uh, we, uh, we do uh, think of those that have gone before and uh, for some here in our midst, and Gail, especially uh, just one year since Steve's homegoing. Homecoming from the Lord's point of view, which is the most wonderful thought. So, Father, please comfort uh, Gail and the family there as they uh, no doubt are uh, thinking about these days with much, uh, much good remembered from the past. So, Father, thank you for your good care for each one, for all of us. Uh, Father, I I know that you've preserved us because we're hearing uh, the voices of our dear ones. But, Father, I can pray that you continue to protect us from the curse of this uh, evil uh, disease that's been so rampant here and around the world. Father, I just pray that you would uh, deliver us from it completely and that that might be soon. I pray, Father, that our nation might be preserved through this great, great challenge. I pray, Father, for our president and our leaders that serve with them, and in every level of government, that you would uh, protect them, encourage them, 
give them great wisdom and give them success in defeating the enemy. The enemy with all of his willing servants uh, is so visible. Father, and yet their working is often hidden behind the scenes. We're only seeing some of it. So, Father, I just pray for uh, your people that you would give them great strength through this time. There are many challenges in this life. We've heard of some of them. We've also heard of the, the blessings of your provision. So, Father, on this special weekend, we remember those that have gone before and also those that remain uh, who would be willing, Father, even to give their lives for you and for their own country and for their their liberties that it might be preserved. And the greatest liberty of all, of course, Father, is what we're reminded of always here in your word. So, Father, I thank you and please bless our meeting today as we uh, share your word together in Christ's name and amen. Amen. Well, there's a three part series we're in right now. I've entitled it No Second Chances. Today, part two of that. Today we get into the real uh, details. <clears throat> We've done an overview already of this section in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. And what we saw there already is that the sufferings of the church, which are great, and of course down through the centuries they've been even greater <laughs> for many, but uh, because of the level of persecution against the church down through the centuries. Many were martyred. Fewer today, although still many are being martyred even today. Not so much here in this country, of course. We've been uh, not suffering that uh, as in other parts of the world much, but uh, surely that could come. I, Hope and pray that it does not. But uh, what Paul writes there, we saw this the last uh, couple of times we met, is that if you could just get behind the scenes, if you could pull back the curtain, if you could understand better what's really happening in the world, and he reveals what that is right here, but if you could just see that clearly, and for us, we do through his word, but we would know that the sufferings of the body of Christ today, as they are persecuted even to the death, are only a token of coming judgment on those that are persecuting. <laughs> he says, you need to understand the uh, the backdrop, the, the rest of the story, as it were, right? Those those sufferings today are tokens, he says, or really indications, <laughs> sure indications of coming judgment. And uh, it makes a difference, uh, he says, that we realize this, so that when we ourselves suffer, we'll understand what's really happening. Uh, there's much discussion all the time about why good things happen, bad things rather, I misspoke, why bad things happen to, quote, good people, end quote. You know, you hear this often, right? But um, 
<laughs> of course, the worst things are, are persecutions that lead to death, and those are uh, often um, focused in on God's own people. So what an incredible injustice this sort of thing is from our point of view. But, but what Paul says is that if you could just get behind the scenes and see the rest of the story, and that story is revealed here in these words in Paul's letters, then you would understand that these sufferings are merely an indication, but they're a clear indication of what's yet to come. And uh, he's thinking there, and we'll then write a lot about the coming tribulation period upon this earth. And uh, of course, the church, the body of Christ, will be caught up out of the world leaving unbelievers, right, to go into that tribulation period. And uh, many of those uh, have been involved in persecutions of God's people. So what Paul is saying in this whole section is simply that we suffer here uh, and we'll be blessed later. Uh, they <laughs> persecuting and, and causing these trials for us are blessed here in earthly ways often, but they will suffer later. That's, that's the message here of this whole section. Paul considered the knowledge of that really important and, and so encouraging. And remember the Thessalonians had been suffering this kind of persecution and they had in some cases been losing heart and were overwhelmed. False teachers had come in and had taught them doctrines that were very damaging, that were quite contrary to what Paul had given to them earlier when he was with them. And so he wanted to set the record straight. He wanted them to understand the truth about the times in which they were living and uh, how great blessing was the next thing in store on their calendar. And and uh, how encouraging that would be to know, as opposed to thinking that things were only going to get worse and worse, which is what the false teachers had been teaching these uh, believers. We can take an analogy from that and apply it to our current world, right, uh, easily. Uh, we live in a world where there's great pandemonium, and a related word is pandemic. <laughs> Uh, pandemic uh, has encircled the planet with what is the latest count, I don't know, 225 countries, some very small islands, I'm sure. Uh, 200 and some countries have experienced the devastating effect of this virus. Okay. Um, and the bad news on most of the TV channels and cable channels are that it's only going to get worse. I mean, imagine how <laughs> disheartening that would be if you really believed it, right? Uh, instead of, oh, it's nearly over and uh, we'll soon be over and everything looks bright in the future. That would be quite a different message to hear, wouldn't it? One would be very encouraging. The other would be just the opposite, right? So that's where we are today. And uh, so uh, in Paul's day, his letters are meant to provide that kind of encouragement. We looked uh, 
couple of uh, sessions back at First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul writes directly about the coming times of trial upon this earth. He, he referred to that time yet coming uh, that had been prophesied much in the Old Testament and also in uh, Christ's earthly ministry. He called it the times and the seasons, remember? And he called it the day of the Lord. And he says in First uh, Thessalonians 5, in contrast to those that will live at that time, he says, for us, for we, for members of the body of Christ, he says, God has not appointed us to wrath to that time of wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, he says, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Okay, whether we wake or sleep, that's... Uh, uh, interesting language, and we looked uh, at the words themselves very carefully several times back, and I uh, reminded you again of them last time, so I won't go over it today again, but you can get the uh, the handout and study it uh, off the Liberty Messenger website, and uh, again, uh, see how very uh, carefully Paul uh, teaches that the conditions under which we are living today are not the same at all uh, that they will be living under then after the rapture has occurred, right? So in the tribulation period, the whole uh, nature of life will have changed. Certainly spiritually, that is the case. So they will be uh, required to be alert and to watch for the signs and so forth and to be obedient to those and that they must endure to the end, right? Uh, and uh, we, on the other hand, he says here, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And I pointed out how the words here uh, refer to being a, awake in the sense of being alert and aware of what's going on around us. And the word sleep there isn't talking about death. He's not talking about being alive or dead. Uh, he's talking about being aware, alert, and ready uh, or just completely ignoring the, the circumstances of life and just kind of floating along, as it were, caught up in the world and its affairs. He says, either way, we will live together with him. The next event will be the calling into heaven's glory, where we will then begin to live eternally with him in the heavenlies. How Marvelous that will be. So uh, bring, that brings us down to uh, the second letter. And we looked uh, at that last time in some detail and got into the first part here of chapter two. Uh, our outline for today is rather a simple one. First of all, Paul's warning concerning false teachings is always relevant. We really need to be thinking about what we're hearing. Much of it is false, okay, and, and, and dangerously false, okay? So we need to be 
concerned about it, and Paul warns us uh, there. And, and that's the first uh, verses there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Then the second part is Paul's teaching regarding one dimension of the mystery is easily ignored. The, the mystery refers to that sacred secret given through Paul regarding the times in which we are living, okay? Uh, it was given to Paul by Christ, right? By the ascended risen Christ to reveal to the church how God is working today, right? And uh, that's why we have to go to Paul's letters all the time to learn this. It was given to Paul to reveal that for us. And so there are different dimensions of this revelation. One of them in particular is really easily ignored. <laughs> so that'll be our second point. Paul's teaching regarding one dimension of the mystery is easily ignored. And that's something I want to uh, finish up with today, that one dimension. What is it? So that we are not ignorant of it. To be ignorant of it will mean we'll, e we'll be easily, easily led astray into false uh, a false hope and into uh, really what's destructive spiritually. So first of all, Paul's warning concerning false teachings is always relevant. Okay, I'd like Roy to read beginning in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Roy? Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Thank you, Roy. Well, <clears throat> we've been through this several times so far, so uh, in the interest of uh, understanding, repetition can be very important. I hope all of you are really now at this point taking these words to heart, right? He says, I beseech you by... By what? By a certain truth, a certain teaching that he's already given. I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together unto him. In other words, the rapture of the church is not in question. In fact, it's critically important to know it and remember it always. It is the next thing on the horizon. Whatever the trials in this life are, they don't cancel that out. The next thing prophetically, as it were, I mean, according to God's word for us, uh, is that calling into heaven's glory. It's not suffering seven years in the tribulation period. In other words, enduring the mark of the beast and the wrath uh, of, of, of the Antichrist at that time. That's not what we're looking forward to. The false teachers had told the Thessalonians that was what they were by necessity, going to be enduring. And that was so damaging to their faith. So Paul says, I beseech you, really, by, by the raptured truth, right? So whatever letters you might have received, some of them were, uh, you know, <laughs> not really from Paul. They were forgeries, in other words, saying that they were already in the day of Christ. He says, just ignore those. Okay. Um, 
Now this brings us to the central teaching I want us to look at today. And that's uh, in verses 3 through 5 and then the following. So, Patty, would you please read verses 3 through 5? Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Okay, thank you. Well, this revelation here is just, <laughs> what, <laughs> it might it might seem a little shocking even, right? Because when have you ever seen anything like this? I mean, even in the height of the uh, uh, so-called Last Reich, <laughs> where Hitler is uh, promoting himself <laughs> before the people and the world, uh, and not exactly as God he may have thought he was, I'm not, I doubt it, but uh, certainly he was exalting himself and exercising a dictatorial reign that was so significant, right? But you could go back way before that to uh, the Caesars, for example, in Rome, right? Ruling with an iron hand. Uh, <clears throat> well, <laughs> were they uh, doing what's described here? I would say absolutely not. I mean, actually, they were worshipped as gods. You may not have realized that, but according to the Roman religious system, they were the gods, so the Christians were persecuted to the death for denying that Caesar was God. So there's certain analogies definitely there, right? Uh, or the Pope in the Dark Ages, right? Again, ruling from a throne in Rome, right? Um, but those things don't really compare with this. Um, and we know that from reading in the book of Revelation, for example, where it's made so, so clear what the details of the reign of uh, uh, Satan's chosen person will be at that time, right? Uh, he will oppose, it says here in verse 4, and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that as God, he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In other words, displaying himself with all of the attributes of God that they could see. And there will be amazing things. We spent much time looking at that in months past here on Sunday mornings, right? even the power to raise a dead image to life, right? Or for a person who was wounded with a mortal uh, injury being recovered to life, okay? And because of his miracles, the whole world would fall into step behind him and worship him as if he were God, right? That's what this is all about here. 
But he says uh, that day, meaning the day of Christ, which he's just mentioned earlier, will not come unless there's this uh, falling away first. Okay, We're falling away. Okay, now I mentioned this before, but you may not have really picked up fully on it at that time. Today, we'll give some details that should make it crystal clear. And uh, if not, please read the notes and study these uh, these scriptures later. Okay, the word translated there, falling away. Okay, uh, now no matter how much I love the King James translation, this is one of the places where the translators reflected their own theological views greatly. They never would have translated it this way otherwise. <laughs> the falling away first. Well, falling away from what, right? Um, it, it easily lets uh, false teachers today claim that this is the great apostasy. When you look at the Greek word, the Greek word actually is the word apostasia, <clears throat> from which we get our word apostasy or uh, related words, right? Um, except there come a, a, an apostasy of some sort um, is what it's saying here. But, but what kind is the question? Well, literally, the word means to be separated from. Apostasia, okay, it means to stand apart, to stand separately, to be separate from. And in Matthew and in Mark, it's actually used of divorce. <laughs> if a person is divorced from their spouse, they're separated, right? This is the exact word used there. Translated there, to be divorced or to be separated, okay? And th that's actually an accurate translation, but, but divorce uh, is in a context, right, of marriage, right? Separation is a more root meaning of the word. It just means to be standing apart from, okay? Um, but there's another place which is really illustrative of, of what this word really means, and that's in Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, uh, Paul is talking about, uh, he's, he's re, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the passage is a historical statement uh, in Acts 21 about what it was like when Paul was ministering. And it say, says that he had a meeting, called a meeting with the apostles in Jerusalem. And uh, James uh, was the leader of the group, it says there in Acts 21. And Paul gave them the history of how he had been ministering amongst the Gentiles, the gospel of the grace of God. <clears throat> and what it says is that uh, many had believed. And James uh, responded, <laughs> and the others kind of with one verse, and said, wait a minute, there's so many Jews that have believed on Jesus, and they're all very zealous for the law, Paul, so don't you have to submit to the law? <laughs> and uh, 
he says they're telling stories about how you're teaching the Jews that have believed to forsake Moses. Hmm. And not to circumcise their children and so forth. To forsake Moses. To turn away. To separate themselves from Moses. So here, that same Greek word is translated forsake. Hmm. Strange. Um, you see, again, in the context, it's about turning away from the teaching that had been given before by Moses, right? The law itself, Moses' law. So the, the Greek word just means to separate from. The context will define how that applies, what the meaning is. So in this case, it's to forsake the teaching. In the case of marriage and divorce, it's to forsake the marriage partner. So the context always reveals uh, what kind of separation it is. And so when we read in 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 uh, Second Thessalonians chapter two about this, as we just did, right? And and we saw that uh, the the day of Christ cannot occur until until what? The day of Christ cannot occur. Until there's a departure, a falling away, it says here in verse 3, right? The falling away first. It's the standing apart from the separation, okay? That separation has to occur first. Then the restraints are gone and Satan can work as he will work in the tribulation period, okay? Okay. So this is clearly a statement about the rapture. I think it's really sad that they didn't translate the words consistently in our English translations. It sure would have made it a lot easier for those of you that don't look into the original meaning, don't have the tools for that, perhaps. Okay, so this is all about a departure, meaning a departure from this earth by the church, the body of Christ. All right, that brings us to our second uh, second point here. And that is the one dimension of the mystery that's easily ignored that Paul was uh, faithful to, to teach. Let me start by saying there's a fundamental principle in understanding the Bible. And we really need to uh, grasp this well. And that's that Satan conflicts with the work of God as best he understands it. And he always does this. This is, is his primary intention down through the ages. We spent two and a half years on the long war against God's study, right? What did we see? That Satan always tried to conflict with, he tried to interfere with, he tried to thwart the working of the plan of God which is a redemptive plan along with some other things. But uh, Satan's work is always to conflict with what he perceives that God wants to accomplish, right? If he can succeed in that, he's won the battle, right? And so today we live in the reign of grace. That's what God's doing today is working out the fullness of his grace. That's what Paul writes about on every page, right? Okay, what does Satan therefore want to do? He always will want to conflict with that. 
So instead of grace, he wants there to be works. Instead of faith, he wants there to be law and so forth. Okay? So he will conflict with the teaching of the grace of God and that that teaching might be perverted. He will also work to defeat the working of grace in our lives so that we end up being caught up again in various kinds of religious systems, okay? Uh, in other words, legal works. Uh, religion, uh, at its best, is a system of uh, rules and regulations, right? Okay, so um, understanding that fundamental principle then, Satan always conflicts with and interferes with the work of Almighty God. And we go on and see how that will work out uh, in the tribulation and how that reflects on what's happening today. In verses 6 and 7, Linda, would you please read Second Thessalonians verses 6 and 7? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of the iniquity does always work alone. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Okay, thank you, Linda. Well, I began to explain last time what this is all about and how these words need to be looked at carefully. Again, like I just said a moment ago, I mean, the King James uh, translators they were themselves quite confused about the administration of the grace of God, the dispensational uh, understanding of Scripture. They really didn't understand it at all. They didn't understand anything about uh, the uniqueness of Paul's ministry, and they certainly didn't believe in the rapture. They did believe in the second coming, but they thought we would. They thought uh, the church was living just as the Catholics had taught down through the centuries, that the church was living in the millennial period. They thought that the church was, in some spiritualized sense, living in the kingdom, <laughs> even in the Dark Ages, if you can believe that. Mm. So they translate these words in a bit strangely here. Okay, he says, you know what's withholding that he might be revealed in his time. Um, what's withholding? What's withholding what? Well, as he's just said, uh, this great outburst of Satan's power in the tribulation period <laughs> once the rapture has occurred, right? So he says, you know what's withholding that working now? So something's holding Satan back. Satan's not completely unleashed now like he will be then, after the church is taken out of this world, he'll be released from whatever it is that's withholding him. So he says, you know what it is that's withholding, that he might be revealed in his time. In other words, when he has the opportunity, when God gives him then finally the opportunity to work his evils during the tribulation period. And then he says, for the mystery of iniquity already is at work. Hmm. The mystery of it. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Well, Satan is the man of lawlessness. It's going to be revealed in a couple of verses following here. Okay? So, um, the, this, the revelation uh, of his working, uh, when you get understand it 
properly, Paul says, is that we even have today evidences of it, even though it's being withheld, it's being restrained. So today you can't see the full manifestation of it. Well, praise the Lord for that. But Satan is trying to do whatever he can do, whatever he's allowed to do to interfere with God's working under grace. And so he says in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity is already at work, only he who now withholds will withhold until he be taken out of the way. Okay, the letting, the letting of, and as I said, the, the translators had a somewhat different view of what was really written here. Uh, the word for let is the same word translated withhold in the previous verse. So why would they now use let? I wish they hadn't, right? So we should put withhold in there in each of those places. That's the, the right translation. Or restrain, you could put in each of those places. That's the meaning of the word, right? So he says, Satan's already working, but the restraining factor will be taken away, elim eliminated. Well, when? Well, when the church is caught up into heaven's glory. You see, there also the word he. He who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. <laughs> well, again, they're reading their own doctrine into this. He, I think it would be far better to say it. It's referring to the church. There's no personal pronoun there in the Greek. It's just a, a verb with an implied uh, subject, right? And it's masculine, feminine, or neuter, depending on, in this case, it's neuter, okay? So it is restraining. What's restraining till it's taken out of the way? The church. Taken out of the way, meaning ripped right off of this earth and taken into heaven's glory, okay? <laughs> Removed. Okay, so that's the teaching here. Uh, oh, it's so clear, I think, when we just stop and take it one word at a time and, and do uh, comparisons of the same words used in other parts of the New Testament, right? So you might ask the question then, well, what about this, this uh, previously unrevealed but now revealed working of, of Satan? You know, today, how's Satan working, right? He, he's being restrained, it says here. How's he working? And uh, to understand this better, you have to look at the book of Revelation, to see how he will work then in the tribulation, because what Paul is saying is that today is a is a restrained version of that. Okay, in Revelation chapters 13 and 14, it says very clearly that Satan is going to use signs, wonders, and miracles at that time. Okay. Well, then if Satan is working in a restrained way today, uh, he will do the same. And isn't that exactly what the next section tells us? So Satan is restrained, but still working through signs, wonders, and miracles today. It's no wonder that there are charismatics and Pentecostals and neo-Pentecostals and every other variety around now uh, telling us constantly about the miracles that God is working 
today. What you will notice if you look into their teachings is that false teachings are wrapped around those things. In other words, uh, those miracles are used to somehow authenticate the false teachings of those that are proposing them, okay? And all these people are confessing their experiences, right? Nobody can validate any of them. I don't deny their reality. What I deny is who it is who's working the miracles. Because what's happening is that Satan is working miracles in order to substantiate or give some credibility to the false teachings of his willing ministers today, okay? And this has been true throughout the entire dispensation of the grace of God. How do you think the Pope could have ever taken over with such great power except uh, by uh, other things of the sort, right? What group is it that's been teaching about signs, wonders, and miracles all along, right? Are you not aware? <laughs> of what that church group has been teaching, right? And certainly today there's even more of it, I think, than has been common in the past. So a great question for you and me today would be simply this, and it's a good place to stop, except for reading those last few verses that we'll look at next time. The question would be, and it's a very relevant one, how is the mystery of lawlessness being restrained today and how is Satan nevertheless working, right? And who do you know who's telling you that you need to buy into this miraculous work today so that you might better hear the voice of God or uh, more perfectly uh, follow after the Lord Jesus? Uh, you know the mystery of lawlessness is at work today, right? We hear about it always, often, as we talk to others, right? But Paul says to you and to me, be careful, uh, do not be deceived by false teachers. Okay, so I, I want us to read these verses now that uh, finish Paul's teaching on the subject uh, Gail, would you please read them for us in Second Thessalonians verses two, eight through twelve? And it's the meaning of it should be really jumping right off the page to you after what we've just uh, looked at today. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion, and they, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Thank you, Gail. So you see the miracles in the tribulation period will be used to substantiate and authenticate this, the uh, worker of those miracles, the one who's performed them, that the people of the world would believe his lies. So they were lying wonders in that sense, okay? Wonders that were designed to 
communicate lies. And that's exactly what we see in the world today. But it's being limited today greatly. What is it that's limiting it? It is the church. I mean, we've, we may find it really hard to believe in these dark days in which we live, where every force seems to be aligned against the true church of God, that somehow the church has this much power to limit Satan's working. But imagine what it would be like without it. All the restraints would be gone without the church in the world today, right? And that's the whole point of Paul's teaching here, right? When we're caught up into heaven's glory, Satan will be released to fully manifest himself with all of the power that he has. Remember, Satan is the most powerful being that God ever created. And he's not only powerful in creating miracles, he's powerful in creating lies that are believable. <laughs> and his lies abound. And we know that uh, so well, don't we? So may we be encouraged always through good times, hard times, times of great rejoicing, times of sorrow and grief. May we be encouraged always by the truth of his coming again for us soon. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It's only going to be getting better. <laughs> and it will be so much better. And it'll be forever. It'll be for all eternity. So rest in his grace and find out what the sufficiency of it is. And never turn aside. Praise the Lord. Well, any any comments or questions today? Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I'd be happy to hear them. Okay, let's pray. Our Father, our Father, we are, we're humbled. I mean, not only in our spirits and in our hearts, but sometimes in the flesh where we, we find ourselves even uh, on the uh, earth prostrated out before you, Father, in thanksgiving and praise for how you have uh, worked in our lives to draw us to yourself. And then having done that, how you've worked to preserve us through each step of our lives uh, on the course that you've taken us down, sometimes a difficult course with great peril. Father, I thank you that uh, families may gather um, again and are gathering this weekend, uh, not only in our group here, but uh, in our larger extended family and really even around the world. Father, I, I just pray that those that know you would have a word uh, of grace to share and may it be well received, Father. And may the special blessings of the regatherings be special in another way too, Father. Maybe far beyond our expectations as uh, the light of grace is shared and 
been well received. Father, your intersection with our lives has made all the difference, and I'm thankful, Father, for this day, remembering that, and may you often remind us of it. So, Father, we look forward to see how you will work. With great thanksgiving, Father, in Christ's name, amen, amen. Mm -hmm.